Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 134. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, my guest is Hillary Jacobs Hendel, LCSW, who is an author and a therapist in New York. Hillary, thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. Laura, I am thrilled to be back. I'm thank thrilled. You. Oh, thank you. I'm thrilled <laughs> to be talking with you again. I've been watching with eager anticipation as you have been going out there with your new book. It's not always depression. And I've been waiting for the opportunity to talk to you again and let you tell our audience more about it. But let's start off with just for those who missed our previous interview, let's see if you could just tell a little bit about yourself and your work. Sure. I am a therapist, like you mentioned, that is in private practice in New York City and just a brief history, I am was trained as a psychoanalyst, had a traditional training psychoanalyst, and then along the way in my training, discovered this new way of working with emotions that was based a method called AEDP, which stands for Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy. Uh, the developer of that was, um, method was Diana Fosha some of your listeners may know of. And um, I've been practicing that way ever since. And I find it so incredibly effective. In a nutshell, it's really a healing uh, modality, meaning that we're trying to work with neuroplasticity and how the brain changes for better and really harness the power and the emotions which catalyze the brain change that we're looking for. So it is a very powerful and very effective method, also based in attachment theory, theories of how people transform, infant mother research. So it's a very powerful method for helping people actually cure what ails them. That's awesome. And I know many therapists who are huge fans of the ADP 
method. And I've heard good things from people who've worked with AADP therapists as well. So I think it's really wonderful that you've written your book because I know you're using kind of the AEDP perspective to talk about emotions in a way that's really understandable for people in this book. So let's just start off with talking a bit about your book. The title is It's Not Always Depression. Can you kind of explain a bit about what that title means? Yes. What it, what it alludes to, it well, there's sort of two stories here. One is that uh, Random House, who published the book, wanted to use that title because it was the same title of an article that I wrote back in 2015 called It's Not Always Depression, Sometimes It's Shame. And because that article was so popular, it was, um, I think, the number two article read in the New York Times that day and the number one emailed that they they wanted to use that title. But I, I like the title because it, it gets you curious. And so if it's not always depression, what is it? Mm-hmm. It's really that there is, there are so many symptoms that look like depression, but that have underlying different causes as a, you know, other than a biologically based depression where that's the end of the story. You're depressed for the rest of your life and um, take some medication and have some supportive therapy. This is that in many, many cases, what brings people to therapy, which is their suffering, whether it's anxiety and and things that look like depression, where somebody has a low mood or is sad or loses their vitality or feels numb and disconnected, is is often, mostly in in, in my opinion, because of what's happening underneath, which has to do with emotions and how emotions work and function in the mind, and most importantly, or equally importantly, the body, which nobody, some people are talking about, and and people who understand trauma and bottom-up ways of processing and, and healing trauma understand. But certainly in New York, and the majority of people that I, when I'm reading and listening and watching what's happening on on social media and various places, it's still not the it's still considered alternative to work in the body. And that has become my pet peeve really over the, um, over the 15 years that I've been practicing AEDP. And what made me want to write the book is I think that the kind of work and the knowledge that I learned in my training was so helpful, not only to me and my colleagues and to our clients and to our patients and thousands of people get help from this, that it really should, it needed to, I believe it, this is basic education that everybody should know. And that's it in a nutshell, that um, emotions and the science of emotions, understanding what emotions are and how they work is what it means to understand ourself and who we are and what makes us tick. It's just so interesting what you're saying, because I'm thinking about, I was just talking with someone yesterday and I hear this all the time. One thing I hear so often is people contact me for therapy and they say, I've always been depressed or I've always been a very anxious person. I've always struggled with anxiety. I've always had depression. And you know, it's as if they think that this is just who they are, that they are an anxious person or a depressed person. It's something that they don't have any hope of changing. And 
it's sort of how they see themselves. It almost becomes like an identity mm-hmm. of this. I am kind of a victim to anxiety or depression, meaning when I say a victim to, it does feel horrible. So it feels like, you know, you're being victimized in a way, but at the same time, it's, it's not something that just has to remain that way. But so many of our ways of speaking about thinking about anxiety and depression and emotion is either just change it or take a pill to cover it. And when I say just change it, it's as if people are able to just like stop being that way and it won't be that way anymore. But it's not that simple, obviously, or no one would want to feel that way. Right. Right. If we, if, uh, if you could just get over it, we wouldn't have a profession. It's, and unfortunately, you, yeah, it's really because of the way the mind and body and the layers of the brain are set up that you can't use your thoughts and sheer will to stop emotions from happening. The, the way the anatomy and the, and the biology of our brain and body is not set up that way. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. And I'm so glad that you mentioned about working with the body. Um, And I want to ask you more about that. But I'm wondering if you can speak to this, this point. I hear often from people, and I feel like this is something that we're saying in schools now, too. We're telling children, you made a bad choice to have a temper tantrum. And so now you have to have a consequence. Or um, an adult will say, well, this person is choosing to be depressed and they seem to want to be that way and they don't want to change it. And I don't believe that anybody would want to be depressed or chooses to throw a temper tantrum. You know, it's something that's happening that they don't really feel any control over and they certainly don't want, they don't like it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And let's add, let's add opiate addicts, addiction Mm -hmm. to that too, you know, Mm -hmm. for people who, for all the stigma and how people are treated when they are heroin addicts or other addicts, no, you know, as they say, nobody, you know, you don't feel great about yourself and feel connected and feel fulfilled and go, Hey, I think I'll uh, just shoot up some heroin so that this is, these are, these are all results of distress that is happening below the level where it can be controlled with sheer will and get over it mentality. Right. And I think our culture does have that kind of messaging that people who are suffering are suffering because of some choice that they have made that makes them suffer. And I certainly don't believe that to be true at all. But will you educate us on how emotions work and and how change happens in, you know, for people who feel depressed or anxious or the other emotions that you talk about? Yes, I would love to. And this is hard because there's, I'm going to try to do this succinctly, obviously for more about this, there's lots more to learn. But the main, most important thing that most people don't know is that emotions are, you could think of them as programs, uh, biologically based survival programs. And Charles Darwin and William James wrote about emotions in the turn of the century as these survival programs that were not under conscious control. So there's your first kind of big aha is that you cannot control emotions. And we're taught that we are supposed to in our culture, but you can't because it doesn't make sense evolutionarily for us to be able to do that. 
you need fast acting responses to danger and to threat so that we can move our body and run away or fight to protect ourselves. So the humans evolved to have, and uh, mammals have these programs deep within their brain that when they're set off, so for example, if, uh, you know, if somebody, I use this example all the time, it's from Peter Levine, where if a, if a tiger is to bust into the room, Right now, for one of us, we would be running even before we would know we were scared, that our eyes would see a threat and it would trigger fear in our brain. And that lower part of our brain, which connects to the heart and to the lungs and to the GI tract and to our muscles, would get us running. And then when you run to safety, it's only after that that you scan for future danger and you have the sense that you're frightened. So to be frightened really is to have a variety of things happening in the body that then we learn, recognize, oh, my heart's beating fast. I'm trembling all over. I recognize that as a state of fear and I can say I am afraid, but it's not happening in your head. It's happening in your body. Yeah. So that's, that's a really important thing because people are trying to figure out their feelings in their head and they're ruminating and obsessing about things and it's, it misses the boat that we need to instead be tuning into physically in this way you're sort of passively noticing and that allows the brain to do its thing and to allow emotion to flow which I know is, is, is complicated. There's a lot of steps in between, but just the mere act of tending to emotions and noticing them and not blocking them, stopping them with all sorts of mechanisms like holding the breath or constricting our muscles, which is why we get sore when we have stress from kind of holding in the, the emotions and the energies, the energy that the emotion has that we want to get used to feeling emotions in our body so that we can learn from them and let them flow so we calm down again, as opposed to repeatedly blocking them, which is how the entire, probably most of the world functions on a daily basis, because that's we have no other skills to be with emotions other than to try to halt the flow because they're uncomfortable and nobody knows what they are. So they're even more uncomfortable because when we don't understand what's happening to us, it feels scarier. Yeah. It feels like it will be intolerable. So we just numb it. Exactly. Unconsciously. Unconsciously. It's just what we do. And that can be reversed with early education and emotions and later education. You know, any time that one can learn about emotions and how they work, it's a huge advantage. You'll have a, people have epiphanies because it's like, oh my goodness, I had no idea this was all going on behind the scenes, influencing my thoughts and my behaviors because we're actually taught through CBT that it's our thoughts that affect our emotions. And that's true also, but the, the majority of how we're influenced is our, is our emotions affecting our thoughts. And that again is neuroscience. Yeah. So it's our emotions, which are basically biological responses for survival. Exactly. That influence the way we see everything. Exactly. So when people say, I know I shouldn't be so anxious, or I don't know why I'm so anxious, but the bottom line is they're feeling anxious. They're feeling anxious and the anxiety is a signal. So when someone says, I don't know why I'm feeling anxious, 
I invite them, let's get curious to know what's happening under the anxiety. And let's see if we can name the core emotions, which are these survival programs, the core emotions, just so people know them, at least they'll have that, are anger, sadness, fear, disgust, joy, excitement, and sexual excitement. Uh, or at least these are the core emotions that I talk about in, my, in this tool that I teach called the change triangle. And I, you know, Paul Ekman and, and various emotion researchers uh, like Jack Panksepp and, uh, and Ekman and, and others will disagree in little nuances of what are the core emotions. But these are the usable ones in my practice that when you get to know what these emotions are, there's an adaptive action, uh, some sort of action and way to be with them that can um, help move through them again so that you move back to a state of calm and clarity and connection and, and confidence, all these things that I, I talk more about in the description of the change triangle. Wow. So <laughs> your book, who is it intended to be read by and, and how is it intended to be used? Mm, that's a great question. Thanks for asking it. So the book, I, I think about in layers so at the, because not everybody is interested in doing emotion work, but most people like education about understanding themselves and how, how people tick, not only to get to know yourself, but to help relationships, to get to know how others, what makes others tick and how to have better relationships and a more, con, more connection. Because that's one of the things in modern life, I think, that uh, is the toughest. It's one of the biggest reasons why people reach out for, to me for therapy is they feel disconnected from themselves and the other people in their lives. Yes, exactly. So the, the first sort of layer of what, if you read the book cover to cover and there's no jargon and I kind of wrote it to be a beach read. So you move through it very, it, it moves swiftly, but it'll just, it's pretty much an emotion, a full emotion education in a book. So if you're just kind of interested in it from a curiosity and intellectual your knowledge base. You'll learn about emotions. You'll learn about what trauma, which most people don't, most people understand as kind of catastrophic things that happen. But trauma is more than that. It's really the result of blocking emotions repeatedly from childhood. And the way we do, the reason people block emotions is because we're taught to, um, that they're not acceptable. We hear things like get over yourself. Don't be so big for your britches. So right away, if we feel proud, somebody, um, you know, our society kind of damps us down. And then that's why we feel shame because we use these other types of emotions called inhibitory emotions like anxiety, guilt, and shame to constrict and make us smaller. So we don't have these big core emotional experiences. Same thing with anger, particularly with women. You hear, you know, it's not nice to figure out. We make these maneuvers that the brain and body can make to squelch our anger. And, of course, that leads to depressive symptoms. You know, little boys and little girls, or, well, let's just take little boys. When they say they're frightened, you know, their father might say, yeah, you know, you're not scared. Man up. Boys, you know, don't be a sissy. So these are the ways that we squash emotions. So the, the book basically just explains how the, the process explains what all the different types of emotions are and the defenses, the, the maneuvers, the kind of creative maneuvers we make to squash emotions. 
and then how to move through them to kind of come back down again, getting used to how to work with them. So an emotion education is like the first layer. The second layer is I have exercises in the book, which I call experiments, where you can begin to get reacquainted with your emotions and um, to feeling better and more calmer and clear about yourself and, and what's going on, you know, deep inside. And the other way that I imagine that the book would be used is in connection with other people. So you can read it and do the exercises on your own, but you can also read it with your partner, your romantic partner. You can read it with a friend. There are many people who are people who are using it with peer groups and therapists who are using it in groups with children, more adolescents and, uh, and adults. And then finally, many people bring the book to their therapist and say, you know, I see myself here and we need to be working more in this, in this way. So various ways to use. Yeah. But if you want, if there's nothing else, if nothing else, I would encourage people just to read it, to understand emotions. It was such an epiphany for me when I learned this stuff just by chance of going to a conference on emotions and attachment and trauma. I never knew any of this stuff before. And I didn't learn it in any of my um, formal training, which again, I I don't understand. I find it um, somewhat of an outrage. I think it, it needs to be taught at young ages. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. I suspect it still is not being taught in formal training. It's not. Yeah. Some. Some. I know that, uh, and we're doing a push in AEDP to bring it to uh, universities and and psych psych programs. Certainly, uh, you know, social work programs, PhD programs, and for medical doctors training to be um, psychiatrists. I, I don't understand how they could not learn about the change triangle because it's the way that you help people and it's the way people help themselves. Yeah, I hope that more people begin to advocate for bringing this work into training programs. And, you know, it seems like there's so much application because, again, like in this paradigm that we have in schools now, that's just so common where it's um, using, you know, basically instead of saying you're a bad little boy, you're saying you've been a bad choice. But (laughs) the still there's a missing piece of what drove you to do that. And, you know, that's the, that's the real question. That's if you want the kid to stop doing whatever it was, you have to figure out why they're doing it. Exactly. Exactly. And so even when, um, for parents out there, it's a great book to understand 
not only yourself and to calm anxiety and, and so that you, because emotions and anxiety are contagious, you don't want to bring that to your children, but so you understand your children so that when a child acts out, just like you said, instead of punishing them, you might look them in the eye with a loving expression and say, what is, what's the matter, sweetheart? You know, to get under the behavior and say, what's going on? You must be feeling alone. You must be feeling bad. Can we talk about it? Or do you need a hug or something that just lowers the uh, activation, as we say, um, you know, in, in neuroscience, you, you want to calm the mind and the body. You want to soothe. People need to, to work towards soothing each other more than escalating things. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because it's just it's like there are these blocks to our understanding why someone else does what they do because we don't understand how we feel. Right. I know that for myself, I used to think about how I felt a lot and I thought I was very connected with my emotions, but I could tell you what they were. I could say, I feel sad or, you know, I'm mad or I'm worried, but I couldn't feel that in my body. Right. Because you didn't know to look there probably. Nobody Not ever, at all. <laughs> nobody ever tells us. Why don't you just put your feet on the floor, take a couple of deep breaths, and then just tune in to what's happening below the neck, you know, with a stance of compassion and curiosity, and just a little bit at a time if it feels scary. Nobody says these things to us. Although, what's interesting, because I've been writing a lot, I got a request to write a blog about um, when it is hard to tune into the body, because really getting comfortable with emotions as they as they manifest as physical sensation is a huge illness. But if people have a lot of trauma, they, you stay away from your body because it's, it's not good. It doesn't feel good at all. And so I was writing, I was trying to think about how, you, how to explain what it means to actually go into the body. And the best metaphor that I could come up with, or the best analogy, I think rather, is when you're hungry, you don't think your way to figure out if you're hungry if you don't have an eating disorder or something that prevents this from happening, you sort of, you, you sense your stomach as either empty and needing food, or if you uh, overeat, you sense it as full and that you stop, uh, or you sense it as just enough. And it's that way where emotions happen in the body, you just sense what's happening in your core, maybe it's a feeling of a vibration, maybe it's a surge of energy. Uh, maybe it's a, a heaviness or an empty feeling the size of a melon. You know, all these things, these sensations have meaning. They have memories associated with them. They have images associated with them. The body is really the archive of our experiences from the beginning of time. And it's such a, a rich, vast world in there that when we get used to it, it may not be pleasant all the time to feel something, but we can definitely practice and get comfortable so that we're listening to ourselves and receiving information that helps so much that tells us pretty much exactly what we need to do to feel better. Mm. You know, like for just to, cause that's so vague to, as an example, you know, that I have had this anger. If somebody says, you know, I have this feeling inside my body and I'll ask them, you know, it was triggered, let's say, by somebody's uh, spouse. But I'll ask, well, when, have you had this feeling before? 
uh, if you if you kind of bridge back into time from the first time you had this feeling, where does it take you? And, you know, then we're off to the races. Often someone right away says, if you're following a body sensation, okay, I was nine. And uh, the first time I had this sensation was when I was uh, bullied or in school. And um, so we can connect the dots of the present with the past and then heal those parts of us that have been kind of exiled or to use a, a Richard Schwartz's word or, or cordoned off because they were, it was too painful at the time when we were children. But now that we're adults, we can understand what happened differently and, and heal and feel what we couldn't back then and feel relief. Yeah. So what you're saying is that this isn't just a way to cover up the feeling. It's a way to heal it. Yes, to heal it. And what that what we're actually doing from a, a biological a neuroscience perspective is we are integrating and building bridges between uh, brain cells so that triggers are decreased there. It's almost like you're um, disseminating energy, you know, the same the idea of a lightning rod. If you don't have a lightning rod and you get kind of struck, you'll just you'll burn up. It just becomes all of you in the same way when we're triggered by a life event that has deep meaning for us. Uh, let's say the same fight again and again with your partner. It's lighting up a brain cell network of memories of, of the same slight, for example, over and over again. And it just kind of hijacks every part of you. It hijacks your mind and body and your, the way you see things and what you do and your behavior. And you might start a fight just hijacks you. And as you begin to work this way with uh, feelings that take you back to memories and relate to the memories in a whole new way, it diffuses these networks and they dim down. They, they're not live wires anymore. And we just feel a thousand times better, more ourself grounded and able to cope with the challenges that life bring us. And there are many on a day-to-day basis. So it's not about not feeling, it's about how we feel and handling our feelings so that our feelings don't transform us into ways we don't want to be and feel. Yeah, because the feelings themselves are not the problem. It's more the unresolved past hurts that are coming up whenever this feeling gets triggered that, you know, make you feel as if you're having that experience again. And then you react to that when that isn't what's happening now. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's not that feelings, feelings are not a cakewalk, as you know, some, they hurt, but we can, we can get, you you know, just the way you take chances every day walking around that you could fall and scrape your knee. And we know that that hurts, but we also, it doesn't throw us into the depths of despair or it doesn't make us lose confidence in ourselves. We know that this will hurt and it will heal. And so with emotions, it's the same thing. We can get very accustomed to them so we don't have to run away from them and they resolve. What most people don't realize is that when you experience a pure core emotion that's fresh in the moment, it doesn't last longer than a couple of minutes. It sort of rises like a wave and then that energy dissipates and it goes back down. But when an emotion comes up, a core emotion that then begins to sort of bring up all these other past emotions that were resolved, it kind of And that's like these, when we get into depressive states and anxious states and low, low self-esteem states, these are not emotions. These are full, these are states that involve memories and 
and different experiences and they linger. And what we want to do is sort of disperse those and really get to the feelings underneath them. When we let those feelings flow, it sort of breaks up the whole, the whole thing and we just feel clearer and calmer and good things happen. And there's a real method to do that, that, that works tried and true. And we can do it on our own to a large extent and we can do it in therapy when we get stuck. And so that method is described in the book and the experiments that you suggest are ways for people to practice. Is that right? Yes. So what I do in the book is um, in the beginning, I tell the story of me and I describe in brief this change triangle, right? It's a tool and it's a map um, to to wellness and to understanding how we become unwell. And then the rest of the book, each section, there are seven stories because people learn very well from stories and it's less, it's, it's not as boring if you just sort of then translating science. So mm-hmm. I tell stories of how I move people from anxious and depressed and other states uh, that are at the top of the triangle when we're um, somewhat disconnected and in our head and how we move down through core emotions into this calm state uh, of the authentic self that I call the open-hearted self. So you're seeing several stories of how this works with different people. And then I, I put in um, a section in each chapter that explains the, the science with also examples and no jargon, but just for people that need to understand the valid, like I need to know that everything has a scientific basis mm-hmm. because uh, I'm a, my I'm a science geek by uh, by my education. I'm just a sort of a science nerd in that way, and I and I need that validation. So I put some science in, and then at the end of each section, there's a an experiment. So by the end, it starts off slow. The experiments just really understanding what it means to slow down because we can't start to feel our feelings if we're all revved up. We really have to work on slowing down. So different different techniques for that. A couple of techniques for feeling, for inviting in self-compassion, because um, that's a huge key, even though for some people, especially New Yorkers, I have to qualify that it's it's not as hokey as it sounds, but that self-compassion makes all the difference in the world. Just the way when people treat us kindly, we feel more open and we're willing to open up and be vulnerable. And when people are judgmental and harsh, we close down. We re- the way we relate to others and want others to relate to our to us is how we need to relate to ourselves. So um, I teach people how to cultivate some self-compassion and curiosity while they're getting to know their emotions. And then we travel through the down, you know, through the triangle and around the triangle like the patients do. So there's sort of a, ni- a nice kind of arc and um, to the book where it begins on the top of the triangle. And by the end of the book, I don't see how you could think of yourself in the same way. People will really understand their self in, a, in really a, a whole new way. Oh my gosh, it sounds wonderful. And I'm, I'm regretting that I haven't had the chance to read my copy yet. I'm, I'm like, well, maybe we could talk again after you're done. You hey, I would love question. to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like I'm going to be reading it this weekend now because I just can't hold off anymore. You've got me so tantalized. I'm like, oh, yeah, want to find out about this. And I feel like this always happens. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm thinking of like 10 clients who would love this book. So but I got to read it so I can tell them why right. they're really going to love it. <laughs> yeah. And really just you'll see how you feel. 
But uh, yeah, and I look forward to your feedback. And certainly I love getting letters. I look forward to the feedback of anybody listening. I also just wanted to share that I have a, a blog on my website. And for people that don't want to read a whole book, they might just like a taste of some of the articles that I've written. And again, I really aim to never use any jargon and to be very accessible and, and um, in my writing style, because I like to read articles that are like that where I feel I can just connect and relate to what uh, the writer is wanting to share. Yeah, I think that's one of your gifts. You have a gift of being able to distill important points to help people understand pretty complex concepts in a way that's really relatable and kind of finding 15 different ways to say to help the person get to the same end point, you know? I think that's, you're a master at that. I've seen the way you, you know, cause I follow you on social media and I've seen all the things that you write and that's a gift. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. My mother actually shamed all the jargon out of me. She had to <laughs> about jargon. I kid you not. And every time I'd show her a paper I wrote, she'd say, why do you have to say that word? Can't you say it more simply? And and I used to get so annoyed with her and until I thanked her in, in, in my book, I was like, thanks to you, I could write this book and, uh, and have thanks people to you. It. I have years <laughs> of material to draw from as a, as a therapist. <laughs> that too, of course. Of course. We, of course, especially just as our children. Mother's Day, I've just been writing something. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what it's my children are probably work. thinking as they listen. Yeah, mom, I roll. <laughs> I roll. Exactly. <laughs> well, Hillary, tell um, our audience where they can find the blog posts that you write and all the things that you are doing, which are so many, including your book. Great. Well, basically, the hub is on my website, which you can get to by HillaryJacobsHendel.com or TheChangeTriangle.com, or you can just Google my name or The Change Triangle, and it'll come up. And And there I, I, I put a lot of my articles and um, and information about the book is there. But the book is available pretty much everywhere on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and, um, and it's on audio I, I narrate the book on audio. So for people who make Ooh. a long commute, yeah, that was, I was, a, that was fun. And, um, and on ebook and in a hardcover now. And uh, there's also some, there's free resources on my website uh, in the menu that says toolbox. And then I have some videos on YouTube also, if people prefer to, to watch and, and listen and more will be coming there. So I'm really just trying to, permeate this tough society we live in that's, you know, kind of emotion phobic in many ways and get the word out that it just is not so scary. It's not touchy feely BS. It's real science. And we can all learn a few simple things that can help with anxiety, depression, and other things that cause us pain and make life harder, that there are some real basic things we can learn that help tremendously. And I can't tell you personally, if I had not learning this changed my life. And that's why I feel so motivated to share it. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't, I'm sure that what I'm going to be reading is going to help me even more, but just the concepts that you're talking about before having understanding of them, I was definitely a different person. So it does change you because, you know, as Brene Brown says, you can't selectively numb emotion. So if you are not feeling your unpleasant feelings, you're also not really feeling your pleasant feelings. That is so correct. And 
pleasant feelings. We are taught to block those almost more than the, mm-hmm. than the ones that hurt. It's, and I write a lot about that in the book and how we can build self-confidence just quickly. There's two ways in ADP we really lean into positive emotions because you can spend years talking about um, sadness and the ways that you're dissatisfied with life. But if, if when someone comes in and tells me something good that happened and I say, okay, before you move off that, because inevitably they'll say something good about the way they feel and quickly um, someone will move away from it. And if I go, wait, wait, wait. Let's can we come back to that for a moment and really slow down and notice what it feels like to tell me that you got this uh, accolade at work. And it's amazing how people just move away. And when I say what's what can you share what's happening if we just stay with this, you know, for maybe 10 seconds, what it feels like to feel uh, this feeling maybe that they can name as pride in the in their self. I'll say it just doesn't feel good. It feels like, you know, it's like it's like I'm conceited. It feels like um, I'll make you feel bad if I feel good, like all these things. And if you really with practice helps, you know, assure them and and hold somebody to a good feeling where they really start to let it like fill out their their core and like swell up because big good feelings make us expand and to expand is to feel physically larger and often that is dangerous in culture. We get pointed out as being cocky or conceited or too big for our britches or all these things. So, Mm. but you can, you can unlearn that and build confidence and self-esteem by staying with positive feelings. And it's really awesome. Yeah, that's a great point. So it's not just about not feeling or not, you know, wanting to reduce the emotions that you find uncomfortable, but it's also to become comfortable with Feelings that should be pleasant, but that we've been conditioned are wrong to have. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's deep. Yeah. And it's, it's great. And it's, it's eye opening for most people. They never even thought about that. They never even realized that they were blocking good emotions. Yeah. You've really got me thinking now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Hillary, thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat this time. And I hope that we will be talking again after I read your book. And maybe we can have a more in-depth discussion when I've digested it a bit myself. That sounds great. Maybe there'll be one particular part because there's a lot in there that you'll want to hone in on. And I would love to come back. And thank you so much for letting me talk about my favorite subject, emotion. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. 
For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.